rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton. Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 42 of Superman and the Bronze Age, the only podcast on the internet following the adventures of Superman from 1970 to 1986. Believe it or not, my name is Charlie Niemeyer and joining me is a guy who is such a fan of E. Nelson Bridwell that he uses the same naming pattern, J. David Wheata. How are you, David? I am father now. Yay! <laughs> And that was a that was thanks to our friend Andrew Leyland, who said that I should use my British accent on the next episode of Superman of the Bronze Age, and there it is. There it is. That happened. And I told my wife I was going to do that. She laughed. She said it sounded like Mrs. Doubtfire. So I was supposed to start it with "Hello," but I forgot to until I was halfway through it. So I won't do it. Pulpit. But anyway, Doom likes these. Doom likes these nachos. <laughs> Doom thinks he'll have another role of Raisin Bran. That, that's the Doom status update that he was talking about. Uh, yes, yes, yes. I love. Yeah, that's funny. Doom. Doom has is Doom's underwear writing is writing up. It's weird. <laughs> I miss my woman. If <laughs> yeah. you aren't, yeah. If you aren't listening to Hey Kids comics, by the way, um, they are currently covering Secret Wars, and it's actually excellent. As we record this. As we record this, yeah, true. By the time this is done, they'll be past that. But they, they, I have never, well, I have never actually sat down and read the story, but they are making it so much fun that I'm wanting to go find it. Yeah. But I'm really enjoying the episodes, and it's really cool. Well, I like the idea that the whole father-son dynamic, it's so funny. And let's be honest, I, it, how, how cool would it be to have a dad to podcast about comics with? Exactly. Or a son. Tonight, or, well, true. Well. Yeah. But yes, it, it, they're father and son. They're from England. Um, nor they're from Northern England, aren't they? I believe so. It's like I think they're like three hundred miles or three hundred kilometers or something north of London, and um, they so they have a lot of British humor, but a lot of it's funny for us, and then they make fun of us uh, because we don't know that a bonnet is the hood of a car, or we don't understand that they have a fifty quid box instead of a 50 cent box at the comic store or the fact that a torch means flashlight not an actual flaming torch that's that was awkward yeah that was a little weird they had to put a battery in their in their torch and it's like what <laughs> <laughs> although that makes sense if you're like you know have a human torch toy anyway so yeah make sure you check that out that's it but yeah you can also get it on itunes so i i, I highly recommend checking that out anyway this month though or this episode, we will be covering the Superman books with a July 1973 cover date. But first, I'd like to direct you to InStockTrades.com, a stay in the collect edition market. InStockTrades has over 13,000 individual trade paperback, graphic novel, and hardcore titles in stock and ready to ship at great discount prices, and most orders ship within 48 hours, and orders over $15 ship for free. An example of the deals you'll find at InStock Trades is the DC Universe Illustrated by Neil Adams Volume 1 hardcover, and there's at least two or three of these. Uh, originally, 
cover priced at $39.99. You can get it at in-stock trades for just $29.99, which is a 40% discount. So you can find them on the web at www.instocktrades.com. And please also be sure to visit their sister stores at InStock Trades and My Digital Comics. You want to hear what a, what a podcast would sound like if SOPA passes? Okay. There, there you go. There you yes. Go. Yeah. But I think they've shelved it at this moment, but I've heard that before too. I've held up, I've heard it before. I've heard it delayed, but I've heard, I've read a couple of things where the uh, guy that introduced it has decided that he's he's just pulled the whole thing. So I don't know. Uh, I do know that there was some report that and Obama had already declared that if it got through the House, he was going to veto it. So they were going to have to do something different to it anyway. Well, yeah. But, Let's, Did you sign any petitions? Oh, yeah. I, oh, I, I contacted my congressman, which is normally a scary thing because when I called him in his office at one time, obviously he wasn't there, but um, oh. they they take any dissenting opinion to be a potential threat, and they, they, they do. So make sure you're ready to clarify that this is not a threat. <laughs> I wasn't even yelling, so – our next episode of uh, Superman on the Bronze will just be brought by Charlie because David will be in jail <laughs> telling his congressman that he doesn't like SOPA. <laughs> no, I was quite polite in the letter this time. Oh, okay. There you go. Well, you still could be in prison by the next well, episode. That could be entirely different reasons. Yeah, hopefully. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm going to I'm gonna go to prison, I want it to be something awesome. <laughs> like what? Land. <laughs> That's the only thing they're not making more of. That's right. And people will buy, will pay through the nose to get it. There you go. Mm-hmm. I am father now. I rewatched Superman 4 for the first time in 25 years since it was in the theater, which caused me to get in trouble, actually, because when Superman uses this brand new power to repair the Great Wall, I called out an expletive that begins with B and ends with T. And in the middle is, well, something to do with, with cow manure. I'll just put it that way. Oh, bratwurst? Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, the the nice little, back when they actually had um, pages or, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Pages or ushers? Ushers. When they had ushers with flashlights, they, he politely asked me not to not to do that again. <laughs> but, you know, it's uh Well, God, you were only, what, nine? Yeah, ten? nine or ten. Mm-hmm. So I probably shouldn't have been using that language, obviously. No, not in public. Public? Wow. Well, well, probably in, in general. So. <laughs> well, in general, but yeah, especially not in public. But I rewatched it, and uh, you know, it's not as bad as I remember it. It's still a steaming pile, don't get me wrong, but if you took Superman 3 and Superman 4 and kind of molded them together into one story, you might get a decent movie out of it. Mm-hmm. For a while there, I actually liked it. Now, it wasn't my favorite, but I, re- uh, like, I really thought it was kind of cool. Uh you know, watching it over and over again, though, I have noticed, like, there's a whole section missing, like, gee, how does Superman know that Nuclear Man's going after, what's her name? Yeah. And uh, the Great Wall of Vision. Yeah. Yeah, the Great Wall of China Vision. Um, But then when you read some of the the, the the behind-the-scenes stuff and you realize how cool it could have been, because they had John Williams come in, but they couldn't afford to keep him, so he just kind of was... uh, what was it? It was. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for there? I don't know. He he helped write a few of the, a few more. Uh, oh, he was of the tracks. He was credited. Yeah. 
Yeah, he was credited, but he, he was like a supervisor or something. Okay, music, yeah. I guess. Uh, so he couldn't actually do this stuff, but he was actually hired to work on this movie. Um, they actually got a lot of – they had originally gotten a lot of the special effects guys from the first one to come back and do this one. But then, of course, Canon Films had it, and the budget they originally had for the Superman movie, they actually t- took a big chunk of it and then distributed it a bunch amongst several other movies. So they didn't have – they no longer had the budget, so they no longer had the special effects. So the special effects ended up looking like – well, you've seen the movie. Yeah, it looks like a high school production. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, some of the flights aren't bad. The the ones on wires, he he does pretty. They look like look pretty good. They do a pretty good job. The the moon fight I thought was pretty neat, but the uh, where they're using the blue screen looks pretty shoddy. Oh yeah. And unfortunately, by that point, um, everyone was looking so much older. It kind of looked a little weird. It was like that. Um, James Bond Never Say Never Again movie that <laughs> yes. doesn't count because Sean Connery was so old. But, I mean, yeah, Christopher Reeve looks okay because they dyed his hair black. But Perry White looks like an octogenarian there. And Jimmy Olsen is too old to be saying golly. Yeah, really. And didn't he have – he had some gray hair and was balding back then too, <laughs> I think. He was balding, yeah. I, don't, yeah. I think he had a touch of gray. And Lois looked like almost grandma age, so – of course, some of that was her. She had a disease, or she was just an addiction. She, she, had, she had an addiction. Yeah, I think she had addiction. Was it bulimia or? Well, I know. I know she went crazy later down the road. So. Well, yeah, she went crazy, but I, she it was she bipolar, a, and it, it did yeah, affect she, certain areas. And I think, like, you could really see it between one and two. I think she was either doing anorexic, or she was bulimic, or something too. But I don't know. Anyway, either way, she didn't look exactly like the young Lois Lane that we're used to knowing about. So that didn't help either. But Well, she didn't look so well in Superman 3, but I would almost say that Superman 4 had a lot more going for it than Superman 3. Because Superman 3 had really the junkyard battle and the stuff with Lana Lang, and that's about it. Yeah, but Lana was hot. Yeah, and then she went on to be Mom Kent, Mom Kent. That's just awkward. Yeah. But the Lana on Super on Smallville was hot too, so mm-hmm. can't can't go ahead against that. And the the what Lacey, that's her name in Superman Four. Yes. The the fact that they brought her in did not help the Lois thing at all. No. <laughs> let's bring in this model to kind of offset yeah. things. Oh let's bring in this hot young hottie actress to come in and then although I have to admit the the constant switching and coming up with kind of comical ways for Clark to keep switching from Superman to Clark and back again was actually pretty good. Actually, yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. It has its moments. It's just not a lot of them. But you know what? We should we probably talk about Superman comics. We, we won't be. We probably – I don't – that would be a movie that if we co- end up covering it because it's outside of our range uh, would be way down the line. So let's uh, take a break. Well, didn't we just cover it? Well, yeah, but... Thanks for the trip in the time travel machine. Woo! <laughs> so we went to 87, and now we're back in 73 again. And so we'll be right back, and when we come back, we'll have, uh, David here will we'll let you know all about an army of tomorrow. After these messages, we'll be right back. And Guy Gardner is a douche. Uh, especially Guy Gardner, who was being a bit of a douchebag, but... 
uh, he wasn't really listening. That's guy's like that. thing. <laughs> yeah, but that that's his other superpower. <laughs> Speaking of Guy Gardner, page 19, I resent the brain damage comment. He was just a character I found extremely grating. Wow, the internet seems to be filled with people who really can't stand the character of Guy Gardner. I mean, to some extent they have a point. I mean, they've read the character like I have, his adventures with the cores, his solo comic run, whatever. Maybe they'd have a little more appreciation for him. I mean, there needs to be more guy love on the internet. Uh, maybe not that kind of guy love. Regardless, there still has to be a way that a middle-aged man like myself with a love of comic books should be able to present a defense for an underrated character. If you build it, they will come. What was that? If you build it, they will come. Okay, strange disembodied voice. That's a great idea, but I really don't see how building a baseball field and a little bit cornfield will help with matters. I mean, I think there aren't any cornfields near here, especially once they're the owner who let me build a baseball field in. Plus, Guy was more of a football player and... No, no, no. <sighs> Look, no speaks metaphorically. What I meant by Bill was... Oh, maybe make a podcast about it? Well, that's an even better idea. And it's a lot easier, given my farming and athletic abilities. I could recount all the appearances of Guy in comics, I could focus on his solo run, I could give detailed plans of his bar and... Hold on, hold on, hold on, champ, champ. You really want people to actually listen to the podcast, don't you? Well, yeah. So why not start with the 1990s Queen's Internet and continue on to the Reaper? Well, that's an even better idea. I could cover the Guy Gardner solo series along the way, and also put up for a defense my second favorite GL, Kyle Rayner. Plus, really, these are the two Earth-based Green Lanterns. For whatever reason, they're really overlooked in the mass media. Plus, I've got a nearly complete runs of both series. Wow! Thanks, strange disembodied voice. No problem. Now, now, now. let's go kill President Nixon. Um, you do know that Nixon has been dead for well over a decade. Well, how about some brownies? Mmm, that sounds great. I love some good brownies, especially the one with the chocolate frosting on top. Or have you ever had blondies? Those are even better. I had one of those at church. Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, is a weekly internet radio show covering the Green Lantern comics, starting with Green Lantern number 1 in 1990 and ending with Green Lantern number 181 in 2004. During the run, I will be placing a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, my two favorite and the most underappreciated members of the Green Lantern Corps. Along the way, I'll be covering the Guy Gardner comic run, some Green Lantern annuals, and whatever else takes my interest at the time. Come listen along with me, Sean Ingle, as I make the case for the Green Lanterns who deserve a better reputation at justoneoftheguys.lipson.com. And we're back. And, yeah. <laughs> and I have the privilege of telling you about Superman number 265, cover dated July 1973. Actually would have been on sale April 5th, 1973, just a little after April Fool's Day, which doesn't uh-huh. have, anything to, does have anything to do with the story. Like if, Miss, if Mr. Mixus Pitalik showed up, then it would be cool. But um, This, of course, was edited by Julia Schwartz. It has a nice Nicholas Peter Cardi cover. I don't know why I don't just call him Nick Cardi. <laughs> well, that way we know his middle name now. Yeah. Peter. Peter. <laughs> and this is Attack by the Army of Tomorrow. And I do want to note that this was reprinted in Best of DC number one. 
And the story itself was written by Elliot S. Magan. That's right, I'm still going to put the exclamation point in there. <laughs> Might as well. Yep. Penciled by Kurt Swan and inked by Murphy Anderson. That was kind of predictable. Yeah. <laughs> and as I mentioned, it does have a good cover. The cover depicts a lifeless Superman being carried through the rain by a group of soldiers whose leader declares that they have met the enemy and he is theirs. You want to say anything about the cover now or you want to talk about it in the notes? Oh, well, well we could talk about it. I like the cover. It's got some good detail and the the way the ground is cross-hashed and stuff, it definitely looks very wet. And while you can't tell that anyone is getting hit by the rain, you can see it on the ground. It just looks like a really cool cover. It's grim, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's probably one of the more stark covers from this time. And the thing is, it's intriguing because of that. I have to know how they beat Superman. I need to know what's going on here. Exactly, and why the military is trying to defeat him. But then the other, the only problem I have with it is that the little box in the corner that has the title of the story is just so plain. True. We've got this great detailed cover and then just a blah. Yeah. That's happened before, and I, I, it's like, it's like they're trying to balance it or something, but I would say something, I don't know how much they could have found a way to fit into the space that's available for that box, but really they almost don't even need to have that box. Not really. I think it says everything. Yeah. It probably, it probably has Nick Cardi's signature, so they had to cover it up and really that's cheap. Well, yeah, but (laughs) as far as, (laughs) as far as the story, it kicks off when Morgan edge makes a call to Perry white and demands that the chief raises sales on the daily planet, which is nice because we haven't seen Perry white in a while. Upset, Perry takes Clark out for lunch and reminisces about the way things used to be as a young reporter. Clark says that he can give Perry a few minutes on the evening newscast so Perry can, you know, kind of do what he does. And so Perry starts to seek out a story when one pretty much just drops right in his lap. His Perry, with his reporter's hunch, his reporter's intuition, notices two 20-somethings walking down the street in gloves on the hottest day of the year. Perry decides to find out why, and he gets blasted by some odd beam from the young man's hand. And I want to note that the young man's hand has two thumbs, which was... Slightly important. Yeah, just mildly. I didn't know a good place to put that in, so I'm just going to just (laughs) throw it it on the table there. Uh, Perry continues to pursue an unfazed by what just happened, because he thinks he just got punched. And he keeps on the story, while Clark fakes a stomachache and rushes off to change into Superman. Following a hunch, Perry goes to a near top, nearby. Bleh. Following a hunch, Perry goes to a nearby rooftop heliport, and Superman, using Perry's idea of the the idea that the kids are going to the heliport, shows up before the chief and sees the youngsters boarding a helicopter. Superman is overtaken by their blasts, and the young ones leave as Perry stows away on the helicopter unnoticed. Back at the WGBS studios. Clark arrives, catches Steve Lombard trying to play a joke on him, and turns it around and gets an odd, convenient tip of odd activities at nearby Langer Air Force Base. Turns out the suspicions are correct. This is where the helicopter went, and Perry, making an impromptu disguise, snoops around and finds that this is all a plot by a villain named Calixto. Uh, Years ago, Calixto used a special nerve gas in an experimental explosion to create powerful mutants. They're powerful but easy, easily hypnotized. And that's where the two thumbs come in, because when they put them together, that's where the power surges out. 
And his main goal is he plans on using these young people to rule the entire world, don't they all? Outside, Superman shows up, and the mutants bring him to the ground and block his powers. And then they throw him into a jail cell, where Perry breaks him out, creates a disguise for them, including Clark Kent glasses for, for Superman, and the two manage to take a helicopter off the base. Now free of the energy field, Superman creates a tuning fork to counteract it. Calixto is mounting an attack, using the mutant energy to power a weather controller, an illusion caster, and an energy cannon. And Superman activates the tuning fork, which snaps the young mutants out of Calixto's hypnotic control. Now it comes down to Calixto versus Superman. And Superman passes right through the illusions with little delay, as Calixto uses the energy cannon to channel the power into himself. Clickstow gets one good hit in on Superman, who realizes that the villain's body can't stand to take in any more energy. So Superman throws himself between Calixto and the machine, taking in the energy, which is so intense that it destroys the building and leaves a crater in its stead. And one man crawls out of that crater. And that man is Superman. Calixto is no more. And in an epilogue, we learn that the mutants, feeling like a danger with their great power and proclivity towards being hypnotized, decide to leave the planet as Perry gets a last laugh on Morgan Edge, telling him he could read the entire story on Calixto's attempt at the world domination in the next day's Daily Planet. The yeah. end. So what did you think of this, Charlie? Well, um, for the longest time, this is one of the oldest Superman comics I owned. So as such, I've read it several times, and so it's one of my favorites. And it isn't perfect, but I really did enjoy the heck out of it. Um, let's see. Uh, page two. When did Perry White get so much hair? I would say he looks younger. Yeah, they, they – I don't know if it was uh, conscious, like they told him to do it, because this is the only time we get this. But for some reason, after an entire Silver Age and pre-Silver – or late golden age all of the silver age and up to this point in the bronze age we've had a perry white that's pretty much been balding and looked pretty old now this one now today perry white still looks kind of old but a lot younger uh he's still a little chubby and he's got a full head of hair in fact he looks like it's basically morgan edge's hair just with some of his signature grayness yeah, really. Sides. Really, he does look like Morgan Edge, or even Clark at some in some spots. Um, so it looks really, really weird. Uh, also, page two, panel three. Um, I think that's supposed to be Kurt Swan drawing something. Was Kurt Swan? I didn't think he was a blonde man. Oh yeah, yeah, he was blonde. I did not know that. Then it went white. But yeah, he was blonde, and he liked to do that. He'll he'll do. Um, I read in a book that uh, Kurt Swan book. I think I mentioned last episode. You did. Uh, thank you. That he like sometimes he would occasionally draw himself in the in the pages, and then he'd also find places to throw in his kids, and sometimes his kids' friends, so that they could all say they were in Superman comics. But yeah, I think that's supposed to be him. Without pointing it out. Um, let's see. What's my next note? Page eight. We get Steve Lombard's full of first official prank as a WGBS employee. Yay! Yay! I know. Not something we're going to keep track of, but just wanted to point it out. Uh, Clark gets back at Steve by using his heat vision on the water valve, and 
that should have left a hole in the side of the water fountain. I'm just saying. True. <laughs> uh, page nine. Somehow, I doubt that mascara and cold cream would really be able to make a guy that's probably in his 60s or 70s look like someone who's supposed to be in his 30s or 40s. I don't know for sure, but I highly doubt it would work in real life. Probably not. Especially since I didn't know they had brown mascara. Oh, and, and the thing about the mascara is I thought Jimmy was the one that cross-dressed for a story. Exactly. Where would you find mascara in a on an army base full at a time when it was mostly guys in the military? No, no, there were the, yeah, but the the mutants, the young, they were young. They oh were yeah, so just go. So he went in the women's mess room. Wow, the women's restroom, and stole some mis- nice job, Perry. Page fourteen. Now this is the point where they get they get, uh, he gets Superman that costume or the outfit. So he's got the army outfit on with a hat and a pair of glasses. Right here, Perry White should have figured out that Superman and Clark Kent are the same guy. I've always thought that he knew. I think he does. It's never pointed out, and this is probably where that happens. Or he already knew, and he was just pointing out just to mess with Superman. Because he's like, you know, you look familiar with those glasses on. It's like, uh, mm mm-hmm. Uh, page 16, Superman goes into the ground, uses his super speed to suction up a whole bunch of iron ore, and then uses a combination of super speed and super uh, breath to create an, a tuning fork. This is one of my favorite super feats. I don't know why. Okay, I was going to say, it, that's kind of an odd one. <laughs> it's, it's not one of his biggest ones, but, well, for one thing, I like when he creates giant normal objects because he's got to do something in a super way. So he's creating a super version of it or super sized version of it with half the calories. But it's just kind of, I don't know. Like I said, this is one, this is one of my first super feats that uh, I read over and over again on a regular basis. So that's probably part of it. I just think it, the way it's drawn, it just looks kind of cool. And uh, on page 23, finally, after all these months and years at this point, someone has finally put Edge in his place, and it's pretty fitting that it would be Perry. Uh, yeah, okay, I'll give you that. No one has had the nerve to talk back to Morgan Edge since the beginning of the Bronze Age. Uh, and it's nice that we finally get, well, other than the fake Morgan Edge, um, the clone or whatever. So it's it's awesome that it's Perry that finally does it and blows the smoke back in his face. It's just awesome. Now, as much as I like this story, there are uh, Magan comes back and does two more two follow-up stories to this over the course of the next 12 years worth of comics. And both of them are a couple of the goofiest stories that we'll be covering on this show. And I don't want to give that away. I'll probably, if David doesn't know, I'll tell him in a minute. But it's there's two of the goofiest uh, stories we're going to be covering on this show. So this is definitely the best one out of the three. And beyond that, that's all I have to say. Oh, fantastic! I have a few things to say. As Scott, Yay! Scott Gardner style. Um, <laughs> he has a few things to say about Superman. Yeah. Um, 265. What I, 
<laughs> when I opened the book, page one, I immediately said, oh, I, I never knew Superman had a crossover with Prez. The right people will get that one. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't get it. There's a it, Prez was a comic where basically it looked a lot like some of the young people we see here. Um, oh, okay. But he was a like a teenage president. Well, yeah, I know what Prez was, but oh, okay, because of the clothing and stuff. Yeah, I'm hip to it now. I got gotcha. you. You're hip. To <laughs> Sorry. Now it's I know what weekend. it is. That's 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 far out, man. <laughs> wow. Page two again with the video phones, and the thing is, we joked about it, but they really do look like Apple computers from the like late '90s, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And on page three. Perry is doing the whole, when I was your age, we reported the news with a stone tablet and chisel type of thing, talking about, <laughs> and yet he looks younger. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. He's not, yeah. And, it's a different Perry. But I do like that they recognize his military, you know, that he was in the military because he was in the Korean War, and I did double check this with the Essential Superman Encyclopedia, which, of course, I mean, things flip-flop, but it is acknowledged, and we actually get a character moment with Perry, who's been missing for way too long, as I joked in, in the synopsis. We haven't seen Perry for several issues more than he's in the background at most. Mm-hmm. And one thing, though, on page three, Clark's like, well, I can give you a few minutes on the evening news. Clark wouldn't have that power. Only the producer would be able to do that for him. Right. Yeah, he wouldn't be able to He'd be like, hey, I've was wondering if we could let Perry White come on, but he wouldn't be able to say, hey, we're going to have Perry White on for a little bit. Yep. Score, settle, you know, set aside six minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, my notes jump all the way to page six in the third panel with Superman flapping his arms. It just looks ridiculous. And I know he's trying to stop, but. Is he flapping them or is that just his arms out and it's just the after images because he's moving back so fast? I thought that at first, but there, there, nothing else has an after image. Good point. That's, that is weird. So I think he's trying to slow down. He's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> whoa. Um, <laughs> did you turn into Keanu? Whoa. Whoa. Whoa, dude. <laughs> Superman and Clark Kent are the same guy? Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> on page seven, um, Superman is when Perry gets her. Superman's like face down on the ground, not moving, and Perry chases the story instead of helping him. You know, I expect that from Lois. That's just known. But the chief, the chief has some sense of responsibility. Actually, I think Lois would be more apt to check on Superman. Maybe just because she loves him. No, she she would want to chase the story though. It's Lois. Good point. <laughs> um, we mentioned the, the first prank by Steve Lombard. This actual trick was actually mimicked pretty well in All-Star Superman. Yes. Very similar. Yep. But it is odd that the story returned him to the office. Why didn't he just wake up and follow the helicopter? This whole scene was unnecessary. Um, because he couldn't find it. The co- copter was gone, and even his telescopic vision couldn't spot it. Oh, I know that in, in the actual way that we've set up the story, but imagine going back to the writing process. Why would you even have this extra scene? Well, because that's that's the – I think that was a requirement by Julie Schwartz once they brought in Lombard. 
you have to have a Steve Lombard gag in every story. It was required. Is it every story? Because they could have put this at the end. Yeah, it was supposed to be. It doesn't always happen, apparently, especially once he's at the beginning here. But it, what, that, was one of the re- that was one of the requirements. We'll notice this as we move along. Are you being serious? Was it actually mm-hmm. a requirement? Okay, I thought you were just I'm pretty sure. I think it's in that Krypton Chronicles that they were uh, one of the things that ah. – I can't remember if it was in Magan's or Bates's interview, but um, it was one of the hampers because they had a lot of requirements that they had to have in every story. They had to have something – Clark is in the – they had to have something with Clark, so he would have to change at least once. Uh, usually they had to have something involving him being the newscaster, and they had to have Steve Lombard – pull a prank and Clark get back at him. Now the, now the prank could be pulled at one point and Clark get back at him at later in the story, as we will see happens in some cases, but there has to be a prank, which is why probably it only covers one page. True. Hey, I'm glad you brought that up because I do, I do want to recommend the Krypton Companion. I've just pulled it down from my shelf. It is an awesome book. Yes, one of the best books on Superman, really. Especially it covers the Silver Age and the Bronze Age stuff. Mm-hmm. And... We'll probably be going to it from time to time as we're getting further in, but yeah, it and it covers. I mean, it's interviews with the people that were actually working on the books at the time. And you get to see vintage pictures of Elliot S. Magan with long hair. Yeah, and Bob Rosakis yes. and his wife were running the Supermobile, or was it the Supermobile? No, the DC Comics Mobile was it, or the DC Comics Mobile Library or something like that. The mobile Library, yeah. Yeah, the where you got with it was basically. A library on wheels, and you could go read a comic and put it in. Oh, that would have been cool. If only. Mm-hmm. You know, if we had stuff like that, there wouldn't be pirating. Exactly. Well, there <laughs> probably would, but not as much in those areas. Uh, can go to so many places. <laughs> on, on page 10, um, the whole Perry White learning the background of Calixto, that's an awful lot of exposition to pull together from <laughs> basically nothing. Yeah, just by watching and listening, he pieces together a bizarre, bizarre, bizarre story in a surprisingly short time. Well, I don't know how often a day I, I tell my origin story, so. Oh yeah, good point. I like how they give a specific date too, February fifth, nineteen fifty three. Hey, that's wait, that's my wife's birthday. Not well, not nineteen fifty three. Wow, I was gonna say your wife's older than my mom. February, f- oh boy, her birthday's coming up. Um, it'll be over. <laughs> Actually, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be two days away. So I'm going to say happy birthday to my wife, Holly. Even though, happy birthday, Holly. Even though she you doesn't. probably won't listen to this, but happy up. birthday. <laughs> um, page 12. I, how does the Sonics, how does that blanket the base and keep his powers from returning? It's mutant mind energy. Fair enough. No, no questions asked. Well, no, I'm, I'm guessing maybe it's just something that it's, it's psychically pre- preventing him from using his powers, maybe? That's a possibility. I'll give you that. And so That's uh, all I got. Oh. <laughs> uh, I jump all the way to page 15 where Perry and Clark have stolen the hel- helicopter, and Perry's like, finally, I have a chance to light up a cigar. Man, this man has an addiction. <laughs> like an addiction at the level where you almost respect it. Yeah. Wow. You're in well, danger. See, how long has he been there? How long has he been on the base? Not even the day, right? 
No, not even. No, it's been a few hours. I, I'd say at most four hours. Poor guy. Aww. But uh, he did make sure to put it in the pocket of the army outfit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Um, <laughs> page seventeen. What was the point of the weather controller? You have three devices. Two out of three actually come into play in the story. Well, yeah. He never, he never used it. He had a plan for it. It just didn't get to, to use it. So why even mention it, though? To, to, to let you know that he made one. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he had it, and it could have been used, but, but it never – I don't know. Okay. See? There. <laughs> I like how you, how you tried. You really uh, did try. I, I am trying. <laughs> Doing my best. Well, no, 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 no. The, the weather controller does get used. Page oh, well, 19. Heat and winds, yes, you're right. Intense heat and winds. Do not. I do not expect this weather change to affect you. It is a mere fraction of the power, exactly one-third, that I will turn against you and Earth unless you turn back. So it's literally on the next page. I should pay, probably pay more attention. Well, see, the Prez ad probably threw you off is what happened. I got excited. Yeah. They need to, rec- they need to collect that. <laughs> That'll be the next podcast. We'll pre- Prez and the Bronze Age. Don't tempt me. Um, <laughs> I like on page 20 where we get a, almost a perfect Superman-shaped hole in the wall like Wiley Coyote. <laughs> yes. And I'm not saying that as a joke. I actually do enjoy that. And you, uh, you mentioned – Oh, go ahead. And he flies right back through it. Yep. You uh, you mentioned Perry White um, getting the last one in on Morgan Edge. How many people blow smoke in their boss's faces or in their boss's face and don't get a box with their belongings and a severance check by the end of the day? Exactly. I want to see that world. <laughs> well, well. See, this is Morgan Edge. He after all the stuff Clark's done, he hasn't fired him. And, and and Perry just brought him like the, the the biggest story of the century, if you don't count, you know Superman and and the Justice League and Supergirl and the the moon landing and the president being shot and <laughs> all those other big news stories of the century. Uh, if you don't count all those, that's the biggest story of the news century. And so yeah, he, he, that makes him like not only an editor but one of his best reporters. Yeah. <laughs> you don't fire the guy that just got you the awesome story. So why is everybody afraid of him? Oh, Edge? Yeah. Because he's a man on the edge. Man on the edge. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know. Because he's, he's the one that signs all the paychecks. They don't. No one else has figured it out. Okay. I, I'll i agree to disagree on that. but That's fine because I, I, I'm just kind of throwing that out there. I, okay. <laughs> I'm making it up on the cuff. So, yeah. And this moment of improvision has been brought to you by <laughs> in-stock trade. No, um, you know, overall, I, I wondered for a little bit if this was a story aimed at the X-Men with the whole mutant fiasco. But honestly, X-Men would have been so under the radar. It was in reprints at this time. Yeah, it wasn't far from coming back into circulation with the relaunch. But I kind of I'm kind of glad they did the full issue for this story. And it, honestly, it could have been two issues. I mean, we could have stood to know, gotten names with uh, on the mutants and kind of gotten to know the characters. But 
it's good as it is. It really is. It's a fun story. It's very much a cackling mustache twitching or mustache twitching villain. And I'm fine with that. I had fun reading it. Yeah. I thought it was a really cool story. Mm-hmm. And that is that. All right. Well, before we go to promos, there was um, this month Superman got his very own 100-page Super Spectacular. DC 18 was on sale April 12th, 1973 for a whopping 50 cents. And it shows a cover by Nick Carty, which basically just shows little images from some of the stories that are reprinted. And this book reprints one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight stories, three of which actually involve Superman, which kind of makes it seem weird to have a Superman 100-page spectacular that only has three Superman stories. But anyway, the first story is a Superman story called I Sustained the Wings uh, by Mort Weisinger and Fred Ray from Superman 25, and Dece- uh, with a Nove- which had a November-December 1943 cover date. Uh, the second story uh, was The Golden Age Adam in Murder on a Star by Joseph Green and John Kozlik, Kozlak, Kozlak, which is from Flash Comics number 90, which was December 1947. And you can see we're slowly moving forward in time. Uh, the Adam, the uh, Silver Age Adam, Ray Palmer. Uh, was in the lockup in the lethal light bulb by Gardner Fox. What? <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, you can do stuff like that when you've got your own title. But yes, like lockup in the lethal light bulb, and and that's before they had these cool new kind with the that last forever and things. By Gardner Fox, Gil Kane, and Murphy Anderson from Adam Number Eight, which had a August September 1963 cover date. And then we jump back in time a little bit. We have another Superman story, but this one's called Superboy's Last Day in Smallville by Jerry Coleman, Wayne Boring, and Stan Kay from Superman 97 from May 1955. TNT and Dynamite, which I believe were quality characters. Dynamite! Exactly. That's what I thought, too. It's like, Dynamite! But I don't know if that's even been on yet at this point. Um... That was good times, by the way, folks, yeah. in case you don't know. Jimmy uh, J.J. Walker. Exactly. But uh, these guys were dynam- uh, dynamite characters. Wow. They were from – no, they weren't these, – these are DC characters. TNT and Dynamite in the story called The Crime Clown, also by Mort Weisinger, and this art by Al Carreno, Carreno from World's Finest Number 5 from Spring 1942. Our Man – in a title, in a story that was originally not titled, but later given the title The Menace of Dr. Tog by Gardner Fox and Bernard Bailey from Adventure Comics 57, which had a December 1940 cover date. Captain Triumph, which is in fact a quality comics character. And another untitled story that was later given the title All That Glitters Is Not Gold. The writer is unknown, but the art was by Bill Quackenbush. Which sounds like a fake name. But then again, if you look, look at the title of the comic, this is from Crack Comics number 42 from May 1946. <laughs> so maybe that's what he was on when he gave the name. And then the final story, which is probably the most famous of all the Superman stories in this book, 
and possibly the most famous of the Superman stories we talk about today. Superman in The Amazing Story of Superman Red and Superman Blue by Leo Dorfman, Kurt Swan, and George Klein from Superman 162, which came out in July 1963. So that's a 10-year-old story right there. And, yeah, that's the original, not the – no energy Superman or cy- uh, cyborg Superman there. This is the original with Kurt Swan art and Kurt Schaffenberger doing the faces of Lois and Lana. And possibly all the other females in that story, I don't remember. And since I know you read through it, David, did you have anything you wanted to say about the book? Uh, nothing. No. <laughs> No, Hold just on. Hold on. I didn't know it was required reading. Hold on a second. Okay. Okay. I have super speed read it. I still have nothing to say. Okay. Cool. Wow, that's pretty awesome that you have a, co- a copy of it. I, I have a copy of everything. And a paper copy even. Wow, that's that's amazing. Um. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, and that that was that we we've covered that most of those. Let's see the the two. Uh, let's see which ones. Uh, the first Superman story will be covered eventually on the two Superman podcasts uh, that we've got in the Superman Podcast Network, Thrilling Adventures of Superman by Michael Bradley and Golden Age Superman by uh, John Wilson, if they get that far, which I'm sure they will. They seem pretty excited about what they're doing. And then, of course, Superboy's Last Day in Smallville and The Amazing Story of Superman Red and Superman Blue – Will or already or have already been covered by Billy Hogan on his Superman Fan Podcast, and all of them are you can find links to them at the SupermanPodcastNetwork.com, and they all are available on iTunes. So we are going to do a couple more promos, and when we come back, have we got a thrill for you? Action Comics number four twenty eight. Be there. Be there. After these messages, we'll be right back. Yeah. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man. Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com. Hey, and now we're back with Action Comics number 425, which had a cover date, of course, of July 1973 and an on sale date of April 26, 1973. With another cover price of 20 cents and another, well, another interesting cover by Nick Carty. Once again, following the last couple of issues, we have Superman in the background flying off. Well, we have a scene of kids reading a super, an action comics issue and a chubby lady looking out a window, and there's trash. But a little boy with a Superman shirt on is trying to make it, get everyone to see Superman, and they're too busy reading the comic. It's kind of cute. Is it sad that the only comment I have on this is the fact that that comic is way too big? <laughs> well, see, it's one of those um, tabloid-sized ones. Even though they didn't have those yet. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, yeah. So our first story. This this book is a regular sized issue, 
but it's jam-packed with three, count them, three comic book stories. So let's get started. The first story is a Superman story entitled The Last Moa on Earth, written by Carrie Bates, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Frank Giacoa? Giacoa? Giacola. There's an L? Giacoa. Oh, yeah. That's it. And edited by Julie Schwartz. And for some reason, it's never been reprinted. We'll probably find out why as we go through. In the New Zealand jungle, hunter John Halloway accidentally shoots and kills a giant bird. And when I say giant, I mean like 12 feet tall. Giant. Uh, Anyway, later, at, at a nearby research game preserve, Halloway learns that it is a moa, a bird long thought distinct. Distinct? A bird long thought extinct. Learning that it was a female moa and overcome with guilt over killing what is possibly the last moa, Halloway goes out in search for the moa's nest, hoping to find an egg, which he does, a very large egg, near a hot underground spring surrounded by strange gas. So he collects the egg and charters a plane to Metropolis, where he has his own private museum in which scientists can study the baby moa once it hatches and may be able to artificially reproduce more. This is commonly referred to as cloning. Landing in Metropolis several hours later, he's met by Clark, hoping to get an exclusive story. Noting that Halloway looks exhausted, Clark offers to drive the hunter and his egg to the museum himself. On the way there, Halloway passes out, just as the moa egg hatches. After also breaking out of the glass chamber the egg was in, the moa busts its way out of the car with so much force that Clark loses control of it and it splashes into a nearby lake. With Halloway still out, Clark is able to change to Superman and rescues Halloway and flies him to the Metro Clinic. While there, the doctor discovers that Halloway is emitting some kind of strange, unidentified microorganisms, which may explain why he was so exhausted. On a hunch, Superman flies back to the lake and then back to the Metro Clinic at super speed to retrieve a piece of the eggshell and discovers that it also contains the same microorganisms. This causes Superman to theorize that the MOA set up some kind of organic link to Halloway that is sapping his life energy. Now facing a life-or-death situation, Superman takes off, using a combination of super speed and telescopic vision to search every square inch of Metropolis for the MOA. When he finally finds it, he's shocked to see that it's already doubled in size. It's also flying, which MOAs weren't able to do back in the day. And after spotting the Man of Steel, it turns around and fires a lethal barrage of feathers at him with enough force to perforate a bull elephant. It then returns and tries attacking Superman with its talons. And while the attack, of course, does, doesn't hurt Superman, he does find himself suddenly with a mental picture of the area Halloway found the egg in being focused into his mind. Not knowing what it means, he pushes it out of his mind and grabs onto the moa's leg. But the moa just sheds the legs before quickly regenerating new ones and escaping again. While giving chase, Superman gets that mental image again. This time, he figures out that it must be the moa's nest, but he doesn't know where it is. After a quick scan back to the clinic to see that Halloway's condition is getting worse, Superman finally recognizes the flower in the mental images as being a rare plant from northwest New Zealand. So he leads the moa that way, and they eventually find the nest area where Superman spots the strange gas and again theorizes that it is the reason for the moa's strange new abilities. Superman flies back to Metropolis to see that Halloway's link with the moa appears to be severed now that it is home, 
And with another MOA now having a chance to live, Superman plans to return to New Zealand to put up a protective fence around the nest to create a preserve where the MOA can safely live out the rest of its days. The end. Aww. Exactly. What do you, uh, what have you to say about the story, David? Um, the MOAs freak me out because I have a fear of emu and they look like emu. They used to be a farm near where I lived, and I would drive by, and they would stare. They would peer into your soul, and they peck at you when you try to climb into their cages. Why were you trying to climb into their cages? At one time, it was a dare. Ah. And, yes, I was completely sober, just not real smart. <laughs> Are you sure? <clears throat> yeah. All about the sober part. Yeah. Okay. Um, on page three, if it's left behind by a wild animal and it's steaming – it's best to let that be. <laughs> That's just a lesson in life. And, yeah. And page eight is exactly when I checked out of the story because I'm like, basically, this is Superman versus an emu. Nope, gone. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm like, I don't have anything to. That was it. Yeah, we got Superman fighting mutants and stopping world domination, and then Superman fighting a big bird with no wings. Yeah. It's yeah. like the dodo. Mm-hmm. This is this is Looney Tunes hour. That's all I had was just that I checked out of the story. What about yourself? Well, the first thing I noticed was the art. Uh, after all this time of having the Superman stories inked by Murphy Anderson, this is probably your first guest inker. And I believe this is the first sign of the fact that we're nearing the end of Murphy Anderson's tenure on the books. I know, say it isn't so, right? But um, I didn't hate it. Uh, it does look weird in places, but I thought it was actually a pretty good job. You still get a lot of the Kurt Swan coming through in most of the places. Yeah, sometimes things look a little odd, but for the most part, I thought it was actually still good art. Um also, we this, uh, we got Clark back, and I've meant to notice, note this on the Superman story, but Superman uh, Clark is back in his typical blue suit in both of our stories this issue or this episode. Hooray! Uh, yeah, uh, I think this one he doesn't have the red tie because they don't color his tie; it's just white, but it looks the same. Um, but also, the the suit doesn't help it. But I thought this was a very Silver Agey story, kind of goofy. Uh, it's ironically less silly than some of the silver than it would have been in the Silver Age, but it was still kind of a silly, goofy kind of Silver Age story. And uh, you know, we don't even get Superman till halfway through it, so we don't even get Clark till a quarter of the way through it. I don't know that that was a good thing, though. Well, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Clark shows up finally on page three of a ten-page story. Superman doesn't show up until page five. And then he fights a bird. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. But that, that that's all I have. I mean, there's not – unfortunately, there's not a whole much – a whole much – a whole lot you can say about it because it's a, such a short story. I mean, it's a complete story. It felt a little rushed, but not too bad. It's – you know, for what you're getting, it's pretty good, actually, for a 10-page story, if you don't mind the bird part. It's a super bird, if that makes it any better. It's not a super – it's not that super. <laughs> it's not super enough. Oh, 
The thing looks like it farted feathers at Superman. <laughs> uh, if you look too. at that page, if you look at that page, the bird turns around and then <laughs> right at him. Oh, no, it's not completely around, but it's close enough. Yeah, he's feathers. Oh, uh, let's see. Um, so is that all you got on that one, then? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> not a problem. All right, well, moving right along, then, we'll go to our second story of the, of the issue. This one stars The Atom. Through the magic alchemy of nature's most awesome sources of energy, Ray Palmer, atomic physicist, becomes The Atom, a power-packed mighty might whose brilliant mind and great strength serve law and order against crime and injustice. Tiny Titan, scourge of evildoers, the Atom. In 13 Old Men Who Run the World, written by Elliot S. Magan. Well, actually, written by Elliot Magan. Sorry. Penciled by Dick Dillon. Lettered. Lettered? There's no letterer on this. Well, there are, there is. They're just not credited. Inked by Phil Zuppa. 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 Edited by Julie Schwartz. And again, this story was never reprinted. At a cafe near the Ivy Town Railroad Yard, Ray Palmer and his fiancée, lawyer Jean Loring, are meeting for a lunch date. After they've been seated, Ray asks her why she wanted to meet him there. As she goes through her briefcase to pull out some pictures and papers to help her explain, Ray suddenly shrinks down into the atom without touching his size control belt. Jean turns around to notice that Ray is gone, but he's able to grow again and play it off as if he dropped his menu and was trying to retrieve it. Content with that explanation, Jean goes into explaining what's going on. Apparently, two months ago, a ton of gold bullion was stolen from Fort Knox, and a Dr. Hans Selsheim, a visiting biochemist from Switzerland, was arrested for masterminding the theft. While the prosecution came up with a bunch of witnesses linking Selsheim to, the, to a secret organization that runs the world, she still believes that he's innocent, but she hasn't been able to come up with any concrete proof. Then, on her way out of the courtroom, a man named Brad Phillips, an underworld character, offered to let her know who is framing Selsheim, but only if she meets him at the railroad yard at 1 p.m., which is what she's going to do after they have lunch. So, after they finish, Ray reluctantly returns to his office, and by 5.40 p.m., he's worried because he still has two problems to deal with. One, he hasn't heard back from Gene since lunch, and two, his size control appears to be broken. Deciding which one is more important, he decides to head out to the railroad yard to check on Gene. Why why he wants to go to the railroad yard instead of, you know, calling her office or going to her office, I'm not completely sure. So once he arrives, he sees Brad – I'm sorry? I was going to say, yeah, can't he travel through the phone? That's one of his tricks. Well, yeah, but see, he, she doesn't know he's the Adam. Yet. Yet. So um, – he can't really do that. He could call her, but he can't, like, go through the line and talk to her. Okay, good point. Touche. Thank you. Which is touch, without the if you take out the little accent thing. Um, <clears throat> where was I? Oh, once he arrives, he sees Brad Phillips, who he recognizes because of Gene's photo of him, being mugged. So he shrinks down to the atom on purpose this time and takes out the muggers. But not before they fire a shot. But not before they fire off a shot, killing Phillips. 
Suddenly, his size controls malfunction again, and he grows back to full size, surprising the muggers long enough to take them out before they're able to get a good look at his face. After calling the police to round up the muggers, a shady guy, who apparently sent the muggers after Phillips, knocks out Ray with a blow to the head and drags him to a safe place until the man shows up. Roughly 18 hours later, Ray finally comes to to see what that he's with Jean tied up in a room full of mirrors. Then I they like get... where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Giggity. <laughs> Giggity. Uh, Superman in the Bronze Age, a Family Guy podcast. Um, they then meet the man named De, De Clemente, the crime lord. He tells Gene that he wants Selzheim to be convicted, but when Gene refuses, he tells his friend to try to keep the blood stains to a minimum. Ray can't get to his size controls, but he suddenly gets an idea and stalls for time by asking De Clemente why he's going through all this. He reveals that the public has been becoming too aware of organized crime, and when they needed a scapegoat, Selzheim was just the right person to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. While he's explaining this, Ray just suddenly disappears. Soon we see that the Atom has taken down De Clemente and his stooge, and then he frees Jean while she asks what happened to Ray. He explains that he made it look like Ray had disappeared and that they'd that he'd let Ray explain what happened when he comes back. But via Thought Balloon, we learned that when Ray was told that it had been, he'd been unconscious for 18 hours, he realized that it was almost noon. He also realized that his size controls went wonky at noon and 6 the previous day, and re- remembered that the city had just installed a noon and a new noon and 6 o'clock whistle. So figuring that the sound waves from the whistles were what was setting off his size controls, he stalled De Clemente long enough for the noon whistle to set off his size controls again, and then he was able to go into action as the atom. That was a long and convoluted explanation, but that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So he runs off and switches back to Ray and appears again from behind a crate. Later, after De Clemente and his stooge are taken away by the police, which will fortunately lead to Selzheim's freedom, Ray tries to convince Jean that his disappearance was basically just a trick done with the mirrors in the room, but she really doesn't believe it. And Ray vows that he will explain everything to her soon, real soon. And that's the end of that one. What do you got for that? Uh, page one, Jean Loring. She is the most mentally stable woman in the DCU who in no way would ever kill another person. Mm-mm. Never. I, not in a million – well, wait, not in, what, uh, 30 years. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> um, you know, I was really excited when, when you know I saw we were going to be covering an Adam story. This one was just – eh. They get better. I know, but uh, that, that, that's why I'm okay with it. It's just it, it was awkward. And I think they, they no, no, you know, yeah. they weren't settled on where they wanted the Adam to go. Uh, but I do like the Hogan's Heroes reference. Yeah, I know nothing. Oh, I didn't even notice it. Yep, I don't know if it was intentionally a reference. I don't know when Hogan, if Hogan's Heroes was even on, but 
This is preposterous. I know nothing about it. Yeah, Hogan. <laughs> um, also on page two, in all seriousness, you you don't talk about your current cases, especially not in a public forum. Yeah, you're not supposed to. Yeah, that's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, bad form, Gene. Bad form. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like that that De Clemente says keep the blood stains to a minimum. I like a villain that appreciates cleanliness. <laughs> yes, yes. Cleanliness and abhors violence. That's why yep. he's letting Mike take care of it. Yep, and he's clearly a, a Marlon Brando knockoff. Oh, totally. He even looks like it. And the funny thing is I have a note on that in the next story. But yeah, this. But when I got done reading it to go back and do notes, I had completely forgotten what had just happened in the story. It was kind of forgettable. <laughs> yeah, it's not one of those really memorable – if they do a best of Adam uh, trade, I don't think this will be in it. Yeah, this would not be in there. <laughs> no. But what did you have on it? Well, first of all, page one, panel one. The first line of dialogue is this guy looking at Gene and Ray and go, hey, dig that pair of dudes. Now, I'm wondering, pair of what is he looking at? Now, I'm thinking the way they're talking that everyone's looking at Gene. Because she's apparently a hottie. She's not drawn to be one here, but she's apparently a hottie. So I'm wondering, pair of dudes, does he mean her legs, her shoulders, her eyes, something else? But that's kind of, it, it just seemed kind of, or then again, maybe I'm just messed up and I, I went there without it meaning to. But I've never heard any part of a woman's body being referred to as dudes. Um, No. Maybe it's her knees. You can see her knees. I'm just going to play it safe and not comment on that. <laughs> oh, you know you want to. But um, it's not a memorable story. I didn't. It was a nice little read to read a little Adam story in a Superman book, you know. Um, it's a nice little entertaining bit of fun for just a couple pages. You know, it's, what, eight pages? Uh so I didn't hate the fact that I read it. I didn't feel like I'd wasted the five, ten minutes it took to read through it. Um, but um, I'm not a huge fan of the art. Again, Dick Dillon is not my favorite artist. Um, so that didn't help it. And the Ray figuring out the mystery of his size controls just in time was a little convenient but then how else were you going to get past it at page six or page what five of a seven page story yeah but uh yeah overall not bad but i just think it could have been better but yeah and what what a convoluted explanation for his size control problem i know (laughs) and i can't believe the, the way they have it written is that after what six hours or no about a little over four hours, he never took any time to actually try to figure out what was wrong with the size control belt before – or size control controls before he went out to look for Gene. And it just kind of dawns on him conveniently? Mm-hmm. He's very fortunate that it, that they it worked out the way it did, though, because, yeah, he's yeah. very fortunate. Well, I guess that's it on that one. See, we're just going right through this issue. We're zipping right through. And I was afraid with three stories we could be a while. Okay, our final story for this issue is The Human Target. In 
The Short Walk to Disaster Contract, Part 1, I Have a Cousin in the Business, written by Lynn Ween, penciled by the Neil Adams, inked by the Dick Giordano, and edited by the the Julie Schwartz. And this story was reprinted in DC Universe Illustrated by Neil Adams, hardcover from 2008, which I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Now, in this story, as Christopher Chance and his sensei end a training session, his friend Luigi, not to be confused with Mario, enters the gym intent on hiring Chance to help his cousin Antonio. See, Antonio is one of two owners of a failing circus, a circus that the Morgan Syndicate is trying to purchase. Antonio doesn't want to give up the circus, so he decides to, that walking a tightrope over Niagara Falls would be just the kind of publicity the circus needs and bets his partner his half of the circus that it would succeed. Since then, several accidents have occurred, with two of them coming close to actually killing Antonio. So Chance agrees to the contract, and they go to meet Antonio, who respectfully declines to be replaced. So Chance offers a handshake, and while doing that, he also ends up giving Antonio a, ver- a vulnerable pinch, which knocks him out. He has Luigi take Antonio somewhere for safekeeping while he takes Antonio's place. That night, while checking on the high wire rigging in the big tent of the circus, he's hit in the head by an Indian club. Fortunately, he was able to hear it coming and was able to turn his head just enough that it didn't hurt too much. And while it still knocks him off the platform, he is able to use the net to safely get to the ground pretty quickly. This also means that he's able to chase after whoever threw the club, and Chance activates the the control for the rides at the circus, to help, which turns everything on, and is able to use them to catch up to the culprit. And while it helps at first, the bad guy is also able to use a merry-go-round to evade Chance and keep him from being able to see his face. Finally, exiting from the merry-go-round, Chance chases him around a corner. However, once he rounds the corner, the man is gone. But Chance comes face-to-face with Antonio, who threatens to stop Chance one way or another while pointing a gun in his face. To be continued. Dun-dun-dun! What do you think about that one? Well, wasn't Luigi just in the Adam story as Di Clemente? Well, yeah, but he's lost some hair. A little bit, not by much. Well, yeah. He got away and just started talking with an Italian accent. He probably had the Italian accent before. I just didn't read it. It wasn't as thick. Yeah. Um, I just realized that Christopher Chance is Archer from the cartoon. I could totally do. <laughs> I could totally do a spoof. Just you know, do flash animation from from some comics or something, mm-hmm. and just go. Completely camp because he's like the the Das Eckes guy. He's the most interesting man in the world. Mm-hmm. You see him. You, you could just see him walking down like a path with the with a fez wearing you know sidekick. And I suddenly I couldn't stop laughing. I just couldn't. It's like I can't get back into the story. <laughs> fez wearing sidekick. That'd be awesome. Yeah. But acrobats. Where are the Graysons? That's what I want to know. Where are the Graysons? Well, obviously they're they're dead. Oh. This is this is a current story. It's not a flashback. So yeah, yeah, they're they've unfortunately been killed. Oh, oh no, yeah. no. This I've I've really enjoyed the Human Target story so far. This one was just it was the weakest. So it really it really was. Um, you thought so? The ride part section was fun. 
at least the, the rockets. Then you get on the merry-go-round. Like that's not suspenseful per se. <laughs> that that part was hard to do in a comic. That would yeah. have looked really good if it had been live action or animated, but it just doesn't work as well in a comic. Yeah, I'll agree with you there. It was it was it was relatively straightforward Christopher Chance story where we just had one where we explored his origin and really you know kind of went above and beyond and then now we're reverting back to the standard. And I think that may be why I was disappointed. Well, I have to say though that um, to me after the kind of shabby ending to the great story we had last time, um, this at least seemed a little more even. Okay, I'll give you whether, that. Whether you like it or not, but um, I thought the art looked pretty good. It it wasn't Neil Adams' best. I don't know if it was his pencils or Giordano's inking. It just didn't seem to be the best of their con- you know work together. But it was still really good. Which, when you're not your best, is still really good. That's saying something. And um, I have to say that. The cliffhanger was pretty awesome because there's a lot of unanswered questions here. First, how did uh, how did Antonio get away from Luigi? Did Antonio see the bad guy when he ran past? Where did Antonio get the gun? And is Antonio really about to shoot Chance? And how many of those do you think are actually going to be resolved? Well. Um, I'm not going to lie. I peeked ahead a little bit. Oh, At least one no. does. Okay. Yeah. One does. <laughs> the, uh, Chance does ask, but I don't remember the if there was an answer as to how where he came from. But, yes, the, the we, we find out whether or not he's actually going to shoot Chance next issue. And, okay. I can't go past that because I, I can't tell you if this is the last story we have featuring the human target or not, I'd be giving it away. Sure. I know. But uh, that's all I've Is that all you got? Yeah, it's it's sad that we didn't have more to say about this whole uh, issue as a whole. That was... We, we talked more about one Superman story from Superman than we did the whole thing. I will say this, though. There is something I noticed... In this, in action and in the Superman issue, is that there are a lot of purple clothes being worn in the early 70s. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Perry White's whole suit is purple. The whole, well, uh, when he's not in that arm, the army gear, he's wearing a completely purple suit. Antonio here has a purple outfit on, and when Chance is dressed up as Antonio, he's not only wearing a purple shirt, but pink tights. So he's got the Prince Adam collection, apparently. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but, yeah, there's a lot of purple. Uh, the uh, In the Adam story, the Mike guy, I don't. The, there is brown in this story, but he's wearing a purple. It almost looks like it's supposed to be a leather coat, but a purple coat is just – I mean, I know they're limited on their colors, and I'm not trying to make fun of – well, I am making fun, but still – that's a lot of purple. You know, Bruce Banner would blush at that much purple. Exactly, and he's always wearing purple. Yep. <laughs> well, at least once he's Hulk. So I swear, usually he's not. He's wearing like blue jeans, but then he changes and then purple. Yeah. 
Well, it's it's the gamma radiation that does it. Oh, okay. Um, I also noticed, though, uh, speaking of the colors, um, on the first page of the action issue in the Superman story, you have Superman flying at us, and he's got the normal colors, blue, red, yellow, and he's flying in front of a big Superman shield. And I don't know if it's to tell the help tell the difference, differentiate between the red and the costume, but the red on the Superman S that he's flying out of is like pink. It's almost pink, yeah. It, it it's, is. It's definitely not red. Yeah, like his, the Superman's, like on the Superman suit. His cape is very, you know, very straight red, and that is a very light red. Mm-hmm. Which I guess there's a word for that, and it's pink. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Or actually, as the, they they use in the colored world, that's magenta. It's pink. Basically, yes. And that's that. Um, well, if we're done with that, I guess, since that's that, we are going to be right back after a couple more promos to talk about the ads. Yay! Yay. After these messages, we'll be right back. On May 30th, 2011... DC Comics announced the historic renumbering of all their superhero titles, and the internet broke in half. That's not true! That's impossible! Critics and naysayers abounded. Confusion reigned across fandom. What'll I do? What'll I do? What an unusual view! Not to mention the first reactions to the Supergirl costume. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breaths, heaving. But then the books actually hit. And opinions. He likes it. He likes it. Opinions began to change. The New 52 Adventures of Superman is a monthly podcast where John Wilson, J. David Weider, and Michael Kaiser take a look at each of the adventures of Superman and his family of characters in Action Comics. You know the deal, Metropolis. Treat people right or expect a visit from me. The Superman who appeared six months ago could hurdle skyscrapers and toss trucks around. Now it's faster, now it's stronger. How soon before it can't be stopped? Superboy. If resolving a situation for him is going to get me out from under these people once and for all, that's a small price to pay for freedom. Release the Superboy. Supergirl. Okay. Giant metal creatures. Falling from the sky. Speaking in clicks and beeps. Father would love this dream. And Superman. You could do so much good. We could do so much good. I am doing good, Lois. Clark's such a loner. Never really lets anyone get close to him. The new 52 Adventures of Superman. Available the first of every month on iTunes and at new52superman.libsyn.com. And now we're going to do ads. Because this is another fun month for ads. Some of them are going to be the same. Some of them are going to be new. For for example, inside the front cover, we have another Daisy ad. But this is different than any of the ones we've done before. It's the BB gun every boy dreams about. And 
if you want your, your parents, yeah, you're gonna <laughs> put your eye out, kid. Yep. If you want your parents to get you a Daisy BB gun, look at it from their point of view. And I'm not going to read the whole article, but we've got the pic- a picture of what is apparently a typical young boy's room. And what I'm looking at is a bedroom where the bed is unmade. There's magazines and magazines and books and magazines and a tennis racket all over the bed. Looks like records, too. Records. Um, on the floor, there's flippers, a football, some messed up, some messed up shoes. Looks like Adidas. A basketball, a baseball bat. There's a football helmet on the closet door near next to a guitar. Uh, several more magazines are on the floor, including a, an issue of Mad Magazine. Um, I was going to note that, yeah, that. Yeah, you can't really make out any of the other books. They, they're there. You just can't see what they are. Because I'm trying to look, you know, you can't, the, only the mad one is one you can really read. Because I'm trying to see if maybe this is like, wouldn't that be funny if there was like a Spider-Man comic on the floor? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and this room, basically, there's, it looks like a record player on the shelf there and a ad and a book of music. You know what's missing that you would find nowadays would be like the big flat screen TV with the, Xbox or the PlayStation 3 hooked up to it or the Wii uh, so that the kid can play video games. This is back in the days when kids actually went outside and did stuff. What? I know. I mean, I, I was never like that, but this is what they do. But this is for the air rifle marksman. So this is like a new gun, I guess. They're, they're all pretty much the same. They'll, they'll put your eye out. They'll chip a tooth. <laughs> and, and they look, but they look like a real gun. Yeah. Before they made you put the little orange caps on the end. So the police don't shoot you. Exactly. Uh, next up. It's, is, uh, do you have the day Bill told off his boss? Yes. 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 Cleveland now, Institute it, of Electronics. His boss looks like the dad from uh, the American Pie movies. <laughs> uh, shorter hair a little bit. But, yeah, it looks just like him. Be very careful when putting on the corsage. What? Is a quote from American Pie. Oh, yes. Okay, I got you. Sorry. I set it up. I tried to take it. Yeah. And I totally missed it because I haven't seen any of them in a while. Are, are you but. working for Peanuts in a dead-end job? Get smart. Send for two free books like Bill did. <laughs> you got to be kidding. You in electronics? <laughs> yes. Now I've got a career. CIE made it easy. So goodbye to you and your crummy job. Well, if you got a career, why are you even at the job? Yeah. And, and here's the thing. Basically, he told off his boss, but Bill punched in seven minutes late. So basically, he he got in trouble for doing something. And now he's like, well, you know what? I don't need this job. I can go take my business elsewhere. But you know what? At this new job, if Bill go, clocks in seven minutes late, he could still get in trouble. Yeah. So he's not helping himself really, but he is going to get more money maybe. And look at this desk. Uh, this, this Mr. Bemis, Bemis. He's got a phone. Uh, looks like a newspaper or a magazine, and a and a tape dispenser and some pens. And that's about it. I thought. Okay, I see. I thought that was a coffee maker. The phone. 
No, the the right by the phone. But I see what that is now. Oh yeah, that's the uh, your your inbox, your outbox. Yeah. Before we had computers to do that, they they you know for all your memos. Wow. I only know this because I used to watch TV shows with those. I I've never actually used one of those before. You mean like Bernie Miller? Yes. Yep. I miss Bernie Miller. <laughs> um. The, next up, across from page nine, I have the Super Bodybuilding Course ad, which we've talked about several times before. I still don't have any muscles. Well, me either. But I haven't actually been following the program either. What? I thought, we, I, thought, does. I thought we talked about this. Well, if it's not working on you, obviously there's no point in me doing it. We have different metabolisms, Charlie. Yeah, but I'm in Oklahoma, so it doesn't count. Okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Can't argue with that. <laughs> All right, and then um, our next ad is actually – what is this, a four-page ad? Yes, it is, and it's awesome. For action kits from MPC featuring – Walt Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean. And no, we're not talking about any movies featuring um, Johnny Depp. This is based on the original ride at Disneyland because Disney World was not avail- was not opened yet. This is based on the – was there a movie before Johnny Depp or was the movie – No, there was, was just a, the ride. Just the ride. Okay, that's what I thought. So, oh, yeah, here it is. Now, something never in model kits before. Zapback – Pirate scenes based on Walt Disney Pirates of the Caribbean, the most popular attraction in Disneyland. First, you build these exciting and detailed scenes. Then, at the touch of a lever, release zap action, and the pirates perform a variety of surprise actions. And the zap action can be reset and released over and over again. Dead men tell no tales. And the first one we see is a guy is a skeleton with a parrot on his chest and apparently he moves his right arm which is the one with a gun. No? Is that a gun or is this just this index finger? Wait a minute. Oh here we go. No, that's his gun. Okay. And he's standing by some pirate booty. Not not a you know, a treasure. We have another one with a guy hoist high the Jolly Roger. And this one is a it's not a skeleton. It's the only one that's not a skeleton. But he has a peg leg. And his action is that his right arm moves, um, which actually was the arm on the other one because I, I can't look at stuff. But this one's a right arm, and this time he's got a sword that he swings around to keep people away from his treasure. Yar! <laughs> Arr. Next one is Fate of the Mutineers. And I'm not I'm sure not... what's going on here. Is he trying? He, there's no no fate worse than being dumped on a desert island and falling in quicksand. One matey tries to help the other out, but a touch of the switch and zap Uh-oh. action. I see what it is. The one is sinking in the quicksand. The other one is trying to pull him out by his right arm. The zap action is that he ends up pulling the right arm off the guy in the quicksand. Oh. Not helping at all, but causing, you know, body parts to be taken away. Awkward. Well, see, they're skeletons, so it's not so bad. Oh, I get the joke. But... Yeah. Uh, condemned to chains forever. Is we that, have a Is that Aquaman? <laughs> he does look like he's got an orange shirt and green pants, doesn't he? Yep. But uh this is a, a ske- another skeleton chained to a rock or something. Uh he's got a alligator or a crocodile alligator chomping down on his right leg and his zap action is that with his pirate sword he's 
hitting the alligator in the head. Yep. And it's just a finger's touch to activate it. And then the fi- the Dead Man's Raft. That's This is the final one. Dead Man's Raft is uh, we see one guy steering the boat. And with just a touch of a lever, a trap door opens and a guy pops up and points his or puts his knife right on the map to the treasure. Looks like. Is that That's it? Oh no, cool. you open the you open the you open the door and the angry matey Yeah. Up leaps the, his angry mate slamming upon the treasure map. That's actually a pretty cool one actually, you're right. Out of all of them, that's probably my favorite. That seems to be more, to be the most, uh, not detailed, but the most, um, difficult to put together. Yeah. Complex. There you go, the complex one. So, which means that out of all of these, this is probably the most expensive of them all. Uh, let's see. Now, let's see, you can get all five. At different places. And plus, everyone comes with a Jolly Roger belt badge. What's a belt badge? Do they? That's what it says. Bonus, a Jolly Roger belt badge included in every kit. Sweet! Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Now, a belt badge would be, I don't know. But, you know, still cool. Um, and these are from MPC from... Mount Clemens, Michigan. And these ads come back. There's more Pirates of the Caribbean ads for this stuff later on, too. So this won't be the last time we see these. But that was fun. Uh, moving right along. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know what page will be on yours, because by this point, we're probably in the Adam story. I've got a two-part ad. The top half is for Sea Monkeys. Yes! Which is the same ad they've probably been running since looking by the people, I'm guessing, 40s or 50s. And the bottom half is the three big drafting kits given to you when you train at home with us for a high-paid job in drafting, which we have seen for a long time, actually. So we really don't need to get too much in that. But yes, the sea monkeys own a bowl full of happiness. They're instant pets for a dollar. A dollar! Such a huge scam. They don't look anything like the picture. No, they don't. They're just little like, pieces of something. Now, the next ad is another two-part ad. The bottom half is our subscription ads, like we've seen before. But the top half is the announcement that a new comic is coming from DC Comics. <laughs> the first teen president of the USA, Prez. And you thought it was all a coincidence. I know. And the origin story is the making of the Prez. This is what happens when 18-year-olds vote. What? 18-year-olds vote now, don't they? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know. That's one of the thing, one of the banners in the back, 18-year-olds vote. Oh, maybe okay. It a, maybe they didn't back then. I thought they – no, because it came about during – well, hold on. I like some of the sayings that they that the sh- crowd is shouting as he's driving down the street and the hippies in the car with him are say- singing Hail to the Chief. We have uh, Impeach the Punk Kid. Baby, we're ruined. Radicals. <laughs> Fred says, cool it, man. You had your chance. 
the uh, the Twenty Sixth Amendment, which did make the minimum voting age no less than eighteen, was adopted in July of nineteen seventy one. So it's been around for two years. This is just sort of what they saw as as the. So this is what would happen, I guess. Apparently, this would be the first election after that, I guess, right? Yeah, but yeah. It, it, they didn't change the requirements uh, of what it, you know. Oh, yeah, you, you still can't have an 18-year-old as the president. Yeah. Yeah, that, that will never happen. And the cat is falling asleep on my laptop. That's interesting. Um, that's not part of the ad. I'm just quoting or quoting. Yeah, I'm just noting that. Um, next up, uh, now, my, when I get to the end of the Superman story, because I'm looking at the Superman issue, I have a little ad, a little blurb about coming in the next issue of Superman, The Nightmare Maker, featuring the eerie return of Dr. Phoenix, who oh, yeah. was that last episode of the episode, episode before, before last? That? Yes. So, yeah. So that was pretty quick. Plus, The Face on the Falling Star, a fabulous World of Krypton thriller. 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 I have uh, that as well. The Man of Steel fights for set mine is for two sixty six Superman two sixty six. Yeah, Nightmare Maker, yeah, Face of the Fallen Star. Yeah, there's probably has the action one too, doesn't it? I was about to say the action has the action plus with Superman, Master of the Moon Rocks. Yeah, Green cool. Arrow, Green Arrow in the wrong side of the tracks, and the Human Target, the shortest distance between two points, which we kind of expected. Yeah, part two. Yep. Uh, and then we also have this little part. Uh, Mike Kaluta makes the shadow come to life. Watch for it. I didn't and realize DC had that license that early. I was going to say this, this is probably the earliest one. But, yeah, I think they had it all the way into the 80s, didn't they? Into the 90s, maybe? Yeah, into the 90s. Yeah, yeah so they had it for a while. They just never quite – well – they tried several different series that just never stuck for whatever reason. Either they weren't doing it right or no one knew who the shadow was. Yeah. I don't know. Some of these pulp characters just don't translate to comics very well. What? Especially Some of them don't. Okay. I'm gonna, I, would I'm, think the sh- I would think the shadow would, though. Did you I ever mean, see the shadow movie with Alec Baldwin? Mm-mm. Oh, it was excellent. If you find it, give it a, give it a look. I mean, you would think it wouldn't be too different. I mean, the shadow, he's a, from what I've heard, he's similar kind of to like a Phantom Stranger, Batman kind of person. Uh, Somewhere in there, more towards the Batman side of things, yeah. And you would think po- Batman's so popular, but I don't know. And then um, at the end of the issue, I have a letters page. Uh, I know Action does. At the, does Action's letters page fill up the whole page, or is there a plop ad at the bottom. There's not a plop ad at the bottom. There is a House of Secrets ad. Ooh. Well, what, 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 what's that one look like? Let me pull open on my action issue. It has a cover of House of Secrets. <laughs> it's House of Secrets. <laughs> I can't see the issue. Oh. Basically, it looks like Godzilla's trying to get in this guy's house. No, he's on stage, isn't he? I don't know. Presenting the immortal man who's lived a thousand years, and it's some giant green thing, apparently on stage in a cage. Oh, weird. We'll probably see that in the elsewhere part, right? Correct. Yes, this one has, um, <laughs> our competitors may have things planned for 1973, but DC is going plop, which doesn't sound good no. to me. 
Um, but yeah, it looks, it's a lot of art. Um, just some weird, crazy looking art is basically, you have, uh, the one they highlight is a trapeze act, ironically, since we were just talking about a circus thing, in which the one person fails to catch his friend and the person goes plop to the ground. But beyond that, it just looks like some really weird cartoony art with a lot of plop sound effects in there. Yeah. Uh, inside back cover, we get, if you like baseball or football or golf or I guess that's track, you should join the Sports Illustrated Game Club today. And it's just a whole ad for the Sports Illustrated Game Club. And you cut out this little ad from the corner of the comic, therefore decreasing the value of your comic by several percent. Um, you take this, you tape a quarter to this little form, fill out your name, address, city, state, and zip code. And I guess you put it in an envelope and send it to the Sports Illustrated Game Club in New York, New York, at the Time Life Building. The Time and Life Building is so big that you don't even need an actual address. You just write Time and Life Building in New York. And the quarter is for cover postage of the Game Talk newsletter and catalog that you're requesting. So basically, you put your stamp on here, however much that cost in 1973, and then you send this with the quarter so that they don't have to pay to send you the newsletter and catalog. That just sounds to me like you're getting screwed. Pretty much. And on the back cover, we get the imposters ad again, which shows a little Volkswagen Beetle transforming into a souped-up-looking Volkswagen Beetle with a guy driving in the background with a helmet. And it's the same ad we've seen, I don't know how long at this point. I know, I'm getting bored with them now. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, I don't know, I, let me, in fact, let me look real quick and see if they're on next month's issues and see if we get something new. Because through the power of the fact that this is 40 years later, I actually have the next issues. Here they are. And, see, listen. Hear that? That's the plastic bag. That's the tape. That's me pulling the issue out. This issue of Superman's in pristine condition. <gasps> the back cover has a different ad. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. I'm going to tell you what it is. But let me look through real quick. I'm not seeing the, the those, one of those car ads anywhere in the book. Yep. We might be done with those with that Transformer thing. Until, you know, Transformers comes out. Maybe. I don't know. But for now. So anyway, I'm going to put that back so it'll be ready for next episode. And next up, we're done, right? Mm-hmm. Starting off uh, we with uh, Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics and the other books elsewhere in the multiverse um, is the 100-page Super Spectacular that Charlie talked about earlier. Superman. Yep. And then we have Adventure Comics 428 featuring Black Orchid. Yes, the Black Orchid, which looks weird. It is weird. And then Neil Gaiman got a hold of it and made it kind of awesome. It looks like a like a female trying to be Batman, but failing miserably, like not having the money to do it. That's terrible. Yeah. Um, we have Batman 250, 
with a Dick Giordano cover again, featuring two Batman stories and one Robin story. What is going on with all these people, with all these books having three stories but not upping the page count? They're trying something new. I don't think I've ever... See, in this day and age, they don't take away pages. <laughs> well, they do, but then they make you wait like three years to finish a story. True. It's kind of weird. Um, Next up is The Demon, number 10, which uh, has the demon apparently summoning a genie. Sweet. It may be a, wow. a gin, but... Yeah, well, Jack Kirby genie looks very different than, like, a Disney Aladdin genie. True. Wow, that's kind of cool, though. Uh, next up, we have The Flash, number 222, featuring the heart that attacked the world. And this one actually has Green Lantern needing our help, uh, needing all our willpower to stop The Flash from killing us all. And it's actually kind of cool. We have Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, hitting Flash with a green beam of energy from his ring. And the Flash is running right towards us, looking pretty ticked. And with his hands up, like, I'm going to get you. Exactly. That's actually pretty cool. Kind of, yeah. Uh, Next superhero book looks to be Justice League of America number 106, in which apparently Red Tornado has joined the Justice League and killed them all. Well, bummer. Yeah, a little bit. See, that would be my fear if I joined the Justice League. Everyone died except me. Yes. Everybody's going to blame you at the parties. and <laughs> yeah, Actually, no one's really going to have a chance to blame them until, you know, the Justice Society tries to get together for their annual meeting. And it's like, where's everyone else? Oh, they're dead. Even Infinity Inc.? Well, yeah. Okay. Uh, next up, we have Commandy, the last boy on Earth, number seven, the monster fetish. Wow. What? Uh, never mind. <laughs> there. That's what it says. But um, that is a weird-looking claw arm thing that's about to smush down on Commandy. It, it's it's like a Kirby hand, but with these teeth that come out of the f- tips of the fingers. That I guess they're supposed to be. I don't know. Uh, moving on. Moving on to Legion of Superheroes number four. Uh, which that features that's a Kurt Swan cover. I was about to say it's a Kurt Swan. Oh, cover. sorry. And it actually features the zero hour for the Legionnaires when they face Colossal Boy's one man war. And basically, to sum up the cover, Colossal Boy is just tearing things up. Legions are fl- Legionnaires are flying left and right. It's kind of awesome. It does look pretty cool. Look at the detail in the backgrounds. Yep. Except that the background it looks like a modern Earth city. As opposed to the 30th century. It doesn't look that futuristic, true. Yeah. Uh, maybe they're just like an old town metropolis or something. Uh, we have Metal Men number 44. Did they have – have we had a Metal Men issue before? Yes, we did have a Metal because last time they went up against Chemo. Okay, thank you. Now I'm, no, that wasn't – no, it was. You're right. Okay, yeah. I was thinking that was Doom Patrol. No, Metal Men go up. Apparently, this is the reign of the Missile Men. Which, yeah. Now, I'm thinking this is also reprints. This is probably still reprints. In fact, it is. It's reprinted from Metal Men number one. So they're going right in order. Not uncommon. Yeah. Um, we also get, oh, we get Secret Origins, origin, we get Secret Origins number three. <laughs> I got so excited I couldn't talk. <laughs> With Wonder Woman and Wildcat. 
Yes. I kind of want to track that down because Wildcat's pretty cool. Wildcat is, and look at that motorcycle. I know. Well, let's be clear, the Wonder Woman's no slouch either, but. No, 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 but she doesn't need a motorcycle. Yeah. Well, actually, back then she kind of could have, but it would have been an invisible motorcycle that looked like a plane. Wildcat's motorcycle looks like a cat. Yes. With tires. That looks so cool. I've never seen that before. Usually I just see him on a motorcycle. Wow. You, you wonder how much a boxer has to make to be able to pimp his ride like that. He, 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 yeah. Or how many people he has to beat up. Yeah. Well, of course, that was what, the 40s? So maybe yep. it's not so much. And yeah, cause that's reprinted from, oh, look at that. Are they both reprints? Oh yeah, most of the time in the early, okay. earlier era, Secret Origins was actually reprints. Yeah. And the Wildcat one comes from Sensation Comics number one. And Wonder Woman, now, she made her origin debut in Sensation number one, didn't she? Yes. And but they get her origin from Wonder Woman number one because it's more condensed there, I guess. Uh, it may be a little bit more uh, either condensed or expanded. You're going to get one or the two. <laughs> you think? <laughs> well, I mean, if you look at like uh, add how, to it, take away from it, I don't know. Well, no, if you look at Green Lantern uh, in his appearance in Showcase, it was a little bit more condensed. In Green Lantern number one, it was a more extended yeah. kind of ingrained into a story. Yeah, they actually added some stuff and. Uh, next up, we have Shazam, number four. I wish I could do the sound effect better. I tried it last time, but I don't have the thunder sound effect, so just Shazam, Shazam. Sounds really crappy. Um, this is featuring the mirrors that reveal the future. Now, the cover shows Billy Batson, but he's standing there with uh, with those funny mirrors from a funhouse, and one of them shows Captain Marvel looking normal, C.C. Beck style. Another one Actually, all of this is by C.C. Beck. One shows him as a squat little person, like dwarf size, but really wide. The, th- the third one shows him wide again, but he, the way it's drawn, it almost looks like he's supposed to be oriental. Asian. Yeah, Asian, without it sounding racist. And then the final one um, shows him being re- a little taller, really skinny, with the longer sideburns. Well, the sideburns make all the difference. Well, yeah, that threw me, threw me off. But this has three uh, Captain Marvel stories. So that's cool. Yep. And then we have Superboy number 196, which also features three Superboy stories. Sweet. But the, but the cover is by uh, Nick Cardi, of course. And it's Super Baby's Big Race for a Mini Hero. Apparently, Superboy's first mission against the Living Ghost, which wasn't actually true, that was a retcon. Not that I've of course. Read, not that I've read those Superboy stories. No, 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 never. That is a kind of nifty cover, but he probably didn't have the costume either, did he? Yes. He yep. actually had the little costume. The well, the super, the entire Super Baby concept was retconned in the Silver Age, but in the first appearance, well, the first issue it was his origin. And then the next issue was him rafting and fighting criminals. Let's see, I've read Super Baby stories before. In fact, I think one or two actually made their way into backup in action way back when I first started this. And he always was, he never had an actual Superman, or the, the super costume. He had like some shorts and, and a blue shirt. Because the story was that the that they made the costume out of his baby blankets and just made him a little play suit. So he had little red shoes 
and little red shorts and blue t-shirt kind of thing. And then once he got old enough, he outgrew it. And then they, um, because then it didn't stretch for some reason. So then they, when it came time for him to be Superboy, they rewove all the fabric into the Superman costume we know today or the super costume we know today. And then it's kind of grown with him over time. So that was another retcon if he's wearing the super costume as a super baby. Mm-hmm. That was, that, yeah, retcons. And, well, Superboy was huge on retcons because of the time frame. Well, yeah. Yeah, you always had – it's like every other issue is a retcon because, yeah. Because I think what it, the first issues he would have had to be started in the tw- – it's, it's that time frame thing. Unfortunately, everyone likes the fact that, it, you know, Superman was a Superboy, but then it's like you got to remember that – if you have a Superboy story that definitely takes place in like 1920 because he started in 1938, then eventually you're going to have a really young Superboy in the 20s and a really old Superman by the time you get to 1970. Uh. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Next up is Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane, number 132, where Lois is making out with a blonde guy. I wonder if his name's Jonathan. And um. Too soon. Uh. That was my new 52 reference for the episode. And it says, Lois doesn't know it, but I picked her husband. And that's Superman saying that. So that's interesting. That's but she's having, she's even got her leg up. It must be a really good kiss. <laughs> um, next up, we have Swamp Thing number five with Swamp Thing basically just delivering a beatdown. But that is, yeah. that is a Bernie Wrightson beatdown. So, it, you know, it's quality. Now, is that a guy's head? Busted up on a rocker. No. Yeah, no. It's, I don't know. Do you see that? I see it, like, but I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's supposed to be hair or something growing on the rock or if that's his head. Because I mean, the guy's, I don't know. It's, it's not big enough on this. That's kind of gross. Uh, Let's see. We don't usually do Tarzan or Jonah Hicks, so we're going to move right along to World's Finest, number 218. Where they wel- where the city of something welcomes the world's greatest superheroes, and we see Superman and Batman in what appears to be a parade, um, riding in a car, waving to everybody. There's confetti all over the place, and it says, "Superheroes, bah! I can prove your super flops." Signed, Capricorn, and that's Ooh. the title of the story. Who is Capricorn? And this is all about the secret failure of Superman and Batman, and of course, a metamorpho backup. Yay, Metamorpho! And the Who is Capricorn story is probably weird because it's written by Bob Haney. But I wonder what Dick Dillon's art looks like inked by Dave Cockrum. That's probably interesting. I was going to make a similar comment. I'm glad you did. <laughs> um, did I miss it because we did it in a different direction? No, there is no Detective Comics issue this month. That is true. Weird. Sometimes that happens. Yeah, wonder if it's gone by monthly by this point. It looks like it's gone by monthly by this point. Is the problem? Well, we've been seeing some weird publication things. Yeah, see, as much as everyone tries to remember that, you know, it's only recently that the publication stuff has been messed up. It's it's been going on forever. Marvel's had the problem. That's why you have such weird names and some of the inkers and stuff because you have like five different people inking a story to get it out on time. Uh, that's why when Neil Adams was on Batman, he wasn't on every issue because he was a slower artist. Mm-hmm. That's why 
Jose Luis Garcia Lopez didn't stay on Superman more than just a few issues because he wasn't fast enough to do a monthly book at the time, which is why they brought Kurt Swan back again. That's why a bunch of stuff that I don't know about. Yay, the business is convoluted. Yay, so see, it hasn't always been perfect. But that's it for this month, or this week, or this issue, this episode, this this time. Um, I'm going to leave that in, by the way. Of course you will. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we just want to thank everyone for downloading the episode. Again, uh, we have, we're recording this after recording our last episode with Michael Bailey, but before we've released it. So we still don't have any emails. So please email us, write a review on iTunes, something. We want to know, we know you're out there. We just would like to, you know, talk to you some. We're not above begging. We'll, we'll do it. Please. Please. <clears throat> we'll do it. So, uh, Char- yeah, Charlie will do it. Yeah. Thanks, man. So yeah. I will. I'll beg. I, I'm not above begging. I, 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 heck, I just took a dare and and talked in in British at the beginning of the episode. So <laughs> That's awesome. I would have no problem begging to anyone, where no matter what country you're from, um, I will in, no problem just talking to you and begging for anything, but mostly just for email. It's it's free. It's emails and and stuff. You can also find us on Facebook. You can leave a comment there, and and I'll we'll read it. We haven't really had any – the only pe- people that have been posting there is, like, me posting new episodes. So, please. Okay. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to say, David? No, no. Not after that little display, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You could probably edit some of that out. But anyway. No, it's pretty uh, funny. Uh, so. Yeah, great. Thanks. So, um, well, thank you all for listening, and um, we'll be back in just two weeks with more Bronze Age goodness. Bye-bye. The ghost of this episode will always haunt me. Thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com, where new episodes are posted bi-weekly. Episodes are posted at superbronze1970.libsyn.com, supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com, amazingworldofsuperman.com, and supermanhomepage.com. You can also subscribe to the show via the RSS feed and iTunes. All images characters and music used in the show are for entertainment purposes only no money is made by the show superman was created by jerry siegel and joe schuster thank you for listening and god bless Superman is also a copyrighted feature, appearing in the Superman DC publications.